Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Caroline Grady from the Opinion and Analysis Desk. The November sentencing of a British academic to life in prison for spying caused a rare public spat between the UK and UAE, say Andrew England and Simeon Kerr. The subsequent pardon brought an end to the diplomatic row, but has led UK and US institutions to reassess their links to oil-rich states. Foreign funding of British academia is less transparent than that in the US, but tens of millions of pounds have come from Gulf entities, raising questions over whether this influences research on the region and damages the reputation of institutions or enhances academic ties. This report is narrated by Andrew. When Matthew Hedges, a Durham University PhD student, set off on a two-week trip to the United Arab Emirates, he was following a tradition of British academics conducting research in the Arabian Peninsula. But as he tried to leave Dubai in May, he was detained, held in solitary confinement in Abu Dhabi for six months and sentenced to life in prison for spying. His sentencing triggered a rare public spat between the UK and one of its closest Middle East allies. Both sides now appear keen to move on after the UAE pardoned Mr Hedges in November. But British academia may find it more difficult to return to business as usual. The Hedges case revived Western scrutiny of the Gulf and the rewarding relationship UK universities have long enjoyed with the oil-rich region. Some US institutions are also reassessing their ties with Gulf entities in the wake of the October murder of Jamal Khashoggi by a Saudi hit squad. A preliminary report by MIT into its links with Saudi donors and sponsors found no reason to end the relationships. But Harvard has chosen not to renew a five-year fellowship programme with the MISC Foundation, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's charity. In the wake of the journalist's killing, US senators said they believe Prince Mohammed, the kingdom's de facto leader, ordered the operation against Khashoggi. Prince Mohammed has denied any involvement in the killing and Riyadh has blamed it on a rogue operation. The debate about university links to the Gulf underscores how the repercussions of the Hedges and Khashoggi cases are being felt far beyond the political and corporate worlds. For Western governments, the dilemma is to appear robust in their responses to the incidents while maintaining relations with key allies. But for academics, it is particularly sensitive as they seek to balance their traditional positions as defenders of human rights and freedom of expression with long-standing financial, educational and research relationships. William E. Granara, director of Harvard's Centre for Middle Eastern Studies, says it's going to make us a lot more conscious of and careful about how we look for money, how we accept money. The latest incident is going to keep us all on our toes. Confident, assertive and keen to exert soft power, Gulf countries have been pouring hundreds of million dollars into top academic institutions in the UK and the US for years. Between them, the six Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, Kuwait, Bahrain and Oman, have provided $2.2 billion to US universities since the beginning of 2012 to June this year, according to Financial Times' analysis of the US Education Department's Foreign Gifts and Contracts Report. 
The gold total represents just under a quarter of all foreign gifts and contracts over that period. Qatar, the world's richest state in per capita terms, led with $1.3 billion, followed by Saudi Arabia with $580 million and the UAE with $213 million. The figures include funding from state oil companies such as Saudi Aramco and Qatar Petroleum, Gulf universities and cultural missions. Much of the money also goes to student fees. Riyadh funded about 110,000 US scholarships for Saudis between 2005 and 2015. There is less transparency over foreign funding to UK institutions. But Gulf entities have donated tens of millions of pounds to the country's leading institutions, primarily to their Middle East centres. Research by academics Jonas Bergen Drege and Martin Lestra, published in the Middle East Law and Governance Journal in 2015, estimated that Gulf entities provided at least £70 million to UK institutions between 1997 and 2007. Oxford University says it has received £17.7 million from Gulf states since 2000, excluding donations to individual colleges, with more than £6 million each from Saudi Arabia and Qatar. About 1% of its total donations come from the Middle East. That also excludes funding for the Oxford Centre for Islamic Studies, which is described as a recognised independent centre of the university and was built with a £20 million donation from King Fahd, the late Saudi monarch. Cambridge University received £8 million from Saudi billionaire Prince Awalaid bin Talal in 2008 to establish a centre for Islamic studies and gifts totalling about £7 million from Sultan Qaboos bin Said Al Said, Oman's ruler, for the establishment of two professorships. Richard K. Lester, MIT's associate provost, told the university's newsletter that his recommendation that it not terminate its ties to Saudi donors was a tough call because none of us wants to lend legitimacy to grotesque actions like the assassination of Khashoggi. He added, But the judgment I have made is that, on balance, the benefits provided by the work we are doing outweigh the impact of any kind of reputational support our activities may provide to those in Saudi Arabia responsible for these malevolent actions. Other academics are more sceptical. One close to the Hedges case says, I doubt it will be business as usual, and nor should it be. There is also a deeper question that some academics say needs to be addressed. The extent to which Gulf funding may influence research on the Middle East, a region where some topics are taboo and critics and dissidents are jailed. Mr Hedges was researching the sensitive subject of military development in the Gulf after the 2011 Arab uprisings. Kristen coates Ulrichsen, a Baker Institute fellow for the Middle East, says, It's not easy to track. But if centres want to safeguard funding streams, then they might either commission research that falls within a specific remit and perhaps not commission research that doesn't. Or individual academics might feel they don't wish to cross certain lines in case the funding is jeopardised. Mr Ulrichsen is a former co-director of the London School of Economics Q8 programme on development, governance and globalisation in the Gulf States, a 10-year scheme launched with a £5.7 million donation from a Q8 foundation in 2007. It was renewed for another five years in 2017 with a £2.7 million grant. He says the only time he had an issue as head of the LSE programme was when Kuwaiti donors called to complain about an article he had written about protests in the Gulf state in 2012. But a year later, Mr Ulrichsen was denied entry at Dubai Airport after he'd wrote articles critical of Bahrain and the UAE. The LSE responded to Mr Ulrichsen's exclusion by cancelling a conference in the UAE. Mr Ulrichsen believes a lot of people may self-censor to avoid a similar fate. It was not the first time the LSE was plunged into a controversy over Middle East money. 
In 2011, as Libyans rebelled against Muammar Gaddafi, a scandal erupted at the university over £1.5 million it received from the Gaddafi Foundation, run by the late dictator's son, Saif al-Islam. The LSE's director resigned over the affair. The LSE also received a £9 million commitment in 2006, mostly from the UAE's Emirates Foundation, to establish a centre for Middle East studies, and it has a £2.5 million lecture theatre named after Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan al Nahyan, the nation's founder. Professor Toby Dodge, director of that centre from 2013 to 2018, says, We've all learnt the lessons of what you don't do after the Libyan debacle. Our pluralistic, overlapping, critical research is beyond reproach, he says. It has furthered the academic study of the region. It hasn't in any way led to self-censorship. But, he adds, you have to be incredibly careful. Proponents of Gulf funding say universities' relations with Gulf states have enhanced academic ties, enabled the transfer of skills and fostered collaborative research. Others point to long-standing ties between Gulf royals and UK and US institutions, with many attending British and American universities, as well as military academies such as Santos in the UK, which has fostered philanthropy from Arab alumni. Abdulhalak Abdullah, a UAE academic and commentator who has defended the UAE's position in the Hedges case, says UK universities are the oldest Gulf think tanks in the world. After the September 11, 2001 attacks in the US, Riyadh ramped up its foreign scholarship programme with the aim of raising the education of young Saudis and exposing them to different cultures. It was also considered an important part of the kingdom's efforts to rehabilitate its reputation through the students' interaction with Western societies. Harvard's Professor Granara acknowledges that donors may have national agendas, but says, Universities are pretty clear when they take the money there are no strings attached. But other academics believe this rule is not always adhered to, particularly where funding goes to Middle East research centres. Madawi al-Rashid, a Saudi critic and a visiting professor at the LSE's Middle East Centre, says, Universities are meant to uphold certain values and objectivity, and funding from Gulf countries, especially those notorious for violating human rights, tarnishes the reputation of these centres. They, the Gulf donors, are creating a sphere of influence at the universities. It's an indirect influence rather than a direct one. A British academic says that when he published an article on a Gulf state, a senior member of his UK university emailed him reminding him the subject was a donor and long-time partner of the university. So please bear that in mind. The academic, who asked that neither he nor the institution be identified, later left the university. He says, There is no doubt I would have had to leave on a moral basis. Would you accept a grant from a Kremlin official and name a building after him? Obviously not. A similar debate has been simmering in Australia amid concerns about Chinese influence after a series of multi-million dollar donations to universities by Chinese businessmen with close ties to Beijing, including Alibaba founder Jack Ma and Chao Chak Wing, who chairs the King Gold Group. There has been little research into whether foreign funding influences British universities, but the paper by Mr Bergen Drege and Mr Lestra found that before the 2011 Arab uprisings, Gulf-funded British institutions were less likely to raise issues of democracy and human rights, and much less issues of gender. Instead, they focused more on topics such as youth unemployment and education. After the 2011 protests, all institutions paid more attention to democracy and human rights, but those funded by Gulf entities continued to be somewhat less likely to raise these issues. Mr Bergen Drege a postdoctoral fellow at Harvard, said that does not imply self-censorship or that the work is more credible at self-funded universities. He says, The main difference is more of a focus towards the donor countries, and the output targeting that country focuses less so on certain topics. 
He adds, it emphasises some of the issues and not other issues, such as gender rights and democracy. We don't know if there's a direct causal link, though. An issue academics have repeatedly referred to is dwindling state funding for British universities. The inquiry into the LSE's Libya scandal said British universities have to embark on fundraising on the international plane on a scale that until recently was relatively unknown. It added, the scale of global operation carries ethical and reputational risk. Mr Ulrikson says, the funding climate has changed so drastically over the past 10 to 15 years that they are almost forced to raise money elsewhere. And the golfers prioritise, through their soft power, two things, education and sport. In recent years, numerous Western institutions have also established satellite campuses in the UAE and Qatar. US universities, Georgetown, Texas A&M and Northwestern, alongside Britain's UCL, are among those with a presence in Doha. New York University and the Sorbonne have campuses in Abu Dhabi. But not all academics are happy with the situation. After Mr Hedges was sentenced, staff at Birmingham University supported an emergency union motion to boycott a new campus that opened in Dubai this year. The decision was made over concerns about staff safety and the university's failure to guarantee academic freedom on the campus. The relationships risk being further complicated by a bitter regional rift that pits Saudi Arabia and the UAE against Qatar, with all sides bent on using their soft power to promote their message. The danger for academics is that their research and ties become politicised. Professor Dodge at the LSE says... There is a competition for influence globally between both sides of that dispute and that is fought out across London, Washington and across the world. And that makes it difficult for anyone in academia or anyone else to steer a straight path. What I would do is not pick sides. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this Big Read podcast, you can subscribe on all the usual channels. If you are not already an FT subscriber, visit ft.com forward slash offer for our latest subscription offers. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 